Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast. Today, we have somebody that I think you'll find very interesting. Not only has Dave McKeegan moved abroad, he is also a tax expert. So for those of you from the United States, you'll really be interested in listening to what he has to say today and some of the questions we have, because dealing with taxes in the United States is a little bit different than the taxes from other countries. So stay tuned and let's see what Dave has to tell you about the different things that you're going to have to do as a US citizen compared to others when it comes to filing your taxes. podcast. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and and what you do? Sure. Uh, My name is David McKeegan. I am an IRS enrolled agent, and I'm the co-founder of greenbacktaxservices.com. And our focus is we help Americans that are living overseas uh, to get and then stay compliant with their U.S. tax burdens. Great. And um, for those of of our listeners who don't know, you've also experienced that as well because you are now living overseas yourself. Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, my wife and I have now been living outside the U.S. for over 20 years. And uh, the business, you know, it's a case of scratching our own itch. Uh, You know, we had an accountant that was based in the U.S. uh, when we first moved overseas who made a couple mistakes on our tax return. And it took months to sort it out. Uh, Letters back and forth, calls to the IRS, all this kind of stuff. And yeah, this is probably 15 years ago, 16 years ago now, when people actually answered the phone at the IRS. Uh, So yeah, it was arguably easier then than it is now. And uh, then we said, we, we were trying to come up with business ideas. We were both working in finance in London at the time. And the idea of trying to help out other people that were doing the same things we were uh, just kept rising to the top of that list. Uh, so it was 100% scratching our own itch. And yeah, we've now been living, geez, all over the world for the last 20 years. It's been fun. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. And so a lot of people may not be aware that the tax compliancy for U.S. citizens is different than for for other citizens like me, for example, I'm from Canada. And I know that once I'm a a non-tax resident, I'm still, I'm not not filing paperwork and taxes and I'm not paying taxes on worldwide income, but people from the United States do have to potentially pay depend on their income level and at least file documents every single year. Yep, so the United States, North Korea and Eritrea are in the same little club of countries that tax based on citizenship. So uh, shows you who we're, uh, who we're swimming with at the moment. Um, but yeah, so US citizens, regardless of where in the world they live, they have filing requirements. They, you know, if they have to file a tax return based on income levels, things like that, then they have to do that. They also have some things that they might not know about 
Mm -hmm. uh, because nobody tells you when you're leaving, oh, by the way, you also have these additional you know, responsibilities when you're overseas. So if you go somewhere and you set up a bank account, uh, you might have to report that to the treasury. If the balance of your investments gets too high, you might have to report that on separate forms to the IRS. If, uh, if you make some investments overseas, you know, ETFs or uh, mutual funds, real estate investment trusts, things like that, that could tri trigger PFIC filing requirements. So it can get very complicated very quickly for people if, uh, if they don't know what they're doing or you know, if they don't look into it at all. Right. And unfortunately, when dealing with the government, it's not put your head in the sand and just say, oh, I didn't know because they don't <laughs> care. <laughs> you know, every year we'll get a handful of clients come to us uh, who took the ostrich approach, you know, 15 years ago or something like that. And, uh, you know, they kind of come to us hat in hand saying, am I going to get arrested when I go back for, you know, my niece's wedding? Like, are they going to just capture me at JFK airport? and uh, bring me straight to prison. Um, you know, fortunately, the answer is no. Anybody that's listening, if you're in that situation, the answer is no. Uh, and there are ways for people to get caught up, become compliant uh, in a quicker, easier way than going back and filing 15 years worth of tax returns. Oh, good. So that's that's good to know that that there's a way. And and I mean, it's it's tough for most people that aren't involved in, in the tax industry, um, we don't know a lot about what's required and what's needed. And so that's why it is important to, to be working with somebody and even planning ahead of time. If, if they're saying, okay, I know I'm going to leave in a year and be a non-tax resident, then I'm sure that there's some things that they want to consider if they can beforehand, but knowing that if they're already gone, there's ways that they can still fix it without, um, you know, having somebody meet them at the airport and, and not a friendly pickup that we'd want to have. <laughs> Those aren't the kind of pickups we want at the airport. Nice to be picked up, but not that way. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, there's tools out there that can be super helpful for people. So, you know, if you take somebody that's planning on going abroad, maybe they're not sure how long they're going to be going for, uh, but, you know, take a hypothetical person that's working for a U.S. company. They can now work remotely. Um, so they decide they're going to move to Costa Rica. Um, that individual, if they meet certain criteria, there's some real tax benefits to going overseas. So for instance, people can use what's known as the foreign earned income exclusion to exclude a big chunk of their earned income from U.S. taxation. So if you make, uh, so for, for 2022, the limit's $112,000. So if you're making up to $112,000, you go overseas, you might only be paying social security tax if you follow the rules, if you meet you know, the criteria that you have to meet. So for that one, you know, one of the rules is called the physical presence test. It says that you have to be physically present inside a foreign country for 330 days in a 365 day period. And again, every year we'll have somebody ask, oh, I was only in a foreign country for 329 days. Do I get like 99% of it or something? Uh, and unfortunately, the answer is no, it's all or nothing. You, know, you either hit 330 days and you get it or you don't. Uh, so, you know, some planning before you go overseas on the tax side is highly advisable because, you know, that could be the difference between, you know, paying tax on $112,000 each year or not. And the way Costa Rica works, which is interesting, 
is if your income is earned outside of Costa Rica, Costa Rica doesn't tax you on it. So all of a sudden you've become tax free for up to $112,000, uh, which you know, for most people is pretty nice. And especially if you're living in Costa Rica, making $112,000 from outside the yeah. country, tax-free, <laughs> like you're, you're living really good. I mean, Costa Rica has gotten more expensive over the years and more people are going, but still at 112,000, well, we'll say 110 to keep under that, that mark, you know, yep. you're, you're living quite comfortably there tax-free uh, with that type of income. Yeah. It's a nice lifestyle. Mm-hmm, definitely. It is. Um, Let's see. So uh, what about exit tax within the United States? So uh, I've heard of some people um, with having some issues or, or part of that pre-planning would be exit tax. And that's more if they're, you know, I think more long-term, would it not be as opposed to just remote working for a year and, and getting maybe a, a digital nomad visa or something, but the exit tax would be more of a long-term situation. You know, the exit tax applies if you're renouncing your U.S. citizenship. Um, And if like if you're just planning on being overseas for however long you want to be overseas, the exit tax wouldn't apply. It's only if you're renouncing your citizenship. And then what they do is they say, "Okay, we're going to assume that on your last day as a citizen, uh, you effectively die uh, and all your assets get taxed as if you had died. Uh, so that's kind of the way the exit tax works. And I believe the threshold for that is $2 million. So you have to have assets above $2 million to be hit by that one. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's important to know if you have a lot of assets. Yes. <laughs> and, you, and you plan on renouncing your citizenship. And I've, I've even heard too, that even for those who want to renounce their citizenship, that the U.S. is starting to make it a little bit more difficult to renounce citizenship than it used to be. Well, the fees used to be, I forget what it was, like $200 or something like that for your embassy appointment. And a couple of years ago, they pushed it up to $2,000. Um, and then you, know, you had some rising numbers for a couple of years there. Then COVID hit. And last year, I think only 2,000 people or 2,300 people renounced their citizenship. I haven't seen any numbers for this year so far, uh, but it'll be interesting to see what happens as more embassies open up and things like that. Right. And I think, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think one of the main areas where we see people renouncing their citizenship is accidental Americans. Uh, So these are people who uh, were born in the United States, but never lived there. You know, Boris Johnson, the, uh, you know, British uh, former prime minister is a good example of that. Uh, He was born in the United States because his parents were working there. So he had a U.S. passport. Then he moved back to Britain. Obviously, he doesn't consider himself an American in any way, shape or form. Uh, So he's what I would call an accidental American. And then you get those folks renouncing quite often because they, uh, yeah, they just don't want to be tied into that tax system. They don't want to be tied into the U.S. There's no benefit for them. Right, right. And I, I completely understand that. And obviously, they, they would still have another citizenship from kind of where the country that their parents were from. And so it's, it's easy for them. And yeah, why pay worldwide taxes if you don't have to? Exactly. You know, it just it doesn't make any sense. Why, why do it if you don't have to? And do you know what the process would be for people who say they've renounced their citizenship now, 
And, and I know it's projecting in the future, so we don't know what the process is in the future, but how hard would it be as a born U.S. citizen to then say, oh, no, I actually want to move back to the U.S. and get my citizenship back? I've never heard of somebody going that way, so okay. I, I don't really know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know if there's a okay. process for that or if there's not, but uh, I know a lot of people struggle with that from you know, like if you take me as an example, I've lived overseas for a long time. Uh, at some point, it probably would have made sense financially for me to renounce my U.S. citizenship. Right. Uh, but I've got a bunch of brothers and sisters. You know, my parents are still around. My wife's parents are still around. And the idea of being limited in how much time I could spend in the U.S. if somebody got ill or something like that uh, is pretty unattractive. So uh, I've steered away from that personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess it, it does come down to to a personal situation, but you're right. If if one was to renounce, or even I as myself as a Canadian, if I was to renounce my citizenship, it would limit me to, I believe, like 90 out of every 180 days or, or something, depending yeah. on where where my my new citizenship is from. And, and that definitely is a is a consideration for people, not only for, for tax purposes, but as as you said, with family and, and things. Do you want to be limited to a shorter amount of time um, being allowed in the country um, because you are no longer a citizen? So it's it's always balancing some, some yeah. things and and, and always trade-offs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I always say there's there's pros and cons and and there's always structuring things though too. So you know, opening a corporation in, in different countries to save on taxes. So even though you don't renounce your citizenship. You just pay yourself at a lower rate or or you live in tax-free countries and, and there, there, there's there's planning behind it. Um, and it's just unfortunate. A lot of people are just unaware of all the planning that needs to be done, but there are ways yeah. of, of doing it. So it's not, you know, I don't want to be here and just say, you know, oh, don't pay taxes, renounce your citizenship, <laughs> be done with it. It's all, you know, because there's there, there's pros and cons to, to every situation for sure. Well, if you look at, yeah, it's always interesting, I think, to take like the super rich as an example for different things. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the super rich, you know, the Elon Musks of the world are not using TurboTax to file their taxes, right? No. They, they get no. the smartest, best trained attorneys and accountants to work with them uh, to try and help them navigate the tax system because right. the tax system is you know, arguably one of the most complex uh, systems out there. You know, the U.S. Mm -hmm. tax system is, I think, it's seven times larger than everything Shakespeare ever wrote. Wow. Um, so, and yeah, it's all different loopholes that can be interpreted in different ways and things like that. Right. So, you know, the idea that uh, people think, oh, I can do this on my own because my situation isn't that complex. You know, maybe if you have one job in the U.S. and you don't do much else, maybe that's true. But my argument would be, well, as soon as you go overseas, you should be talking to somebody because, mm -hmm. you know, there's lots of things out there that can sneak up on you that you don't know are going to be problems. Right. Um, yeah, an example we see all the time. It's a horrible example, meaning horrible for the individual. But if you invest overseas so let's say you're a diligent saver. Mm -hmm. uh, you're living in the UK and you go into uh, Fidelity in the UK and you say, I want to open up an account so I can save for retirement or I can save for the future. You start putting money into uh, these investments in the UK. 
uh, well, to you, this looks like you're being smart and you're saving for retirement. To the IRS, you're now investing in passive foreign investment companies, and those get taxed completely differently than mutual funds or ETFs would in the United States. And so you have to know about that to avoid it. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have a massive headache, you know, between the paperwork and how things get taxed. And, you know, it turns your tax return from a small document into the yellow pages, uh, because you have to report each one of these things every year. And, you know, there's a lot of things out there like that. You know, we see people, they'll go overseas, they'll buy property overseas. Mm -hmm. And they're often advised to put the property into some sort of corporate entity mm -hmm. so that uh, they can have a power of attorney, their attorney can manage it if they're not in country, things like that. Uh, but that creates another filing requirement. Now you own a foreign corporation. And so you have to file a 5471 reporting that to the IRS each year. And, you know, every now and then you'll see people try and do this on their own. And you're just like, you know, you can try it, but if you've never done it before, like, even if you're a CPA, if you've never done it before, um, you know, it's not something most people want to take on live the first time they do it. Like people at least want to have it reviewed by somebody who's done a couple of them. Right. Right. And, and as you said, it's, you know, little things like that, that you don't know what you don't know. And in theory, it could be as, I'll use the word as, as simple as, as filing a document, but that one document has a lot of different information on it. And if you don't file that one document, that's only a piece of paper, but that piece of paper can give you a lot of headaches down the road yeah. and, and in the future. And, you know, some of these documents have, um, mandatory penalties, you know, the FBAR, for example, the foreign bank account report. Uh, you know, if you're not filing an FBAR, you can get hit with a $10,000 penalty uh, just for not reporting your bank account. There's no tax due. There's, there's no money that goes out of your pocket for the FBAR. But if you don't do it, the treasury can hit you with a $10,000 penalty. Um, and, you know, to be honest, the IRS has been pretty good in recent years about waiving those penalties, but we don't know what's going to happen. You know, the IRS just got a huge budget. Uh, they're hiring a lot of people so that they can start doing more audits. They can, you know, go after people that they're saying are tax cheats and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, expats, in my opinion, fall into a strange category because most of them aren't trying to be tax cheats. Most of them just don't know what to do. And the situation is so much more complex for expats and people who are living in the US that it's really easy to make a mistake and fall foul of some of these rules without meaning to or without trying to. And then all of a sudden you get caught out and you have to you know, scramble to try and make things right. And you're getting letters from the IRS and all this kind of stuff. It's horrible. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and I, I'm glad you brought up that, the FBAR because it was, it was on my, my list of, of questions here for it and and it's true and um you know it's it's not about with with that form it's, it's just saying yes i have these bank accounts right it's yeah. it's we're already claiming we're already filing our income tax already doing all those things but it is just another form that says yes i i do have these bank accounts and one of the things that i do is i promote people like to to have several bank accounts in mm -hmm. in various places so it's it's important to make sure it's like great that you have it now all you do you know it's it is an extra piece of paper to to fill out and stuff but it saves you in the long run because I, I always tell people, no matter where they live in the world, you should always have another bank account in another country just for a, like a backup plan. 
if something happens with somebody's bank, um, you know, that hackers identity theft, I mean, it, it could be a number mm -hmm. of mistaken identity. I mean, there, there could be a number of things where the person <coughs> literally doesn't do anything wrong, but now their their accounts and, and things are frozen because there's been a hacking issue or stolen identity, then at least having another bank account somewhere else that they can access, they can still pay their bills, buy groceries, do those kind of day-to-day yeah. -day things that they need to do. And not everybody's going to have tens of thousands of dollars in these accounts. So even, you know, it would really suck to get a $10,000 fine, just having a, some extra cash in a backup bank account just in case, <laughs> right? Like then, then it's really not worth it. And it is just, and if you don't know that you know, filing of this, this one extra document is very important. And, and as you said, it's generally not going to cost you anything or taxes or anything that's just saying, yes, I have a, another bank account. Here it is. Yeah. And especially if you're living overseas, it's a lot easier to have an account that you use to pay utility bills or, you know, you get the local debit card to go to the grocery store with, you know, all these kind of things. Um, you know, we've got a couple of accounts spread around the world because we've lived in a bunch of different places and it does help. You know, sometimes one currency goes up and, you know, you want to use that bank account for a little while. Sometimes another one goes down and, you know, you're in that country, you want to spend that money there, that kind of thing. Right. Um, we saw in Argentina, because we lived in Argentina for a little while in, uh, when was that? Like 2011, 2012. Okay. And when we got there, it was about four pesos to the dollar and the Argentine peso was still trading freely in the global market. And about three months after we got there, they changed it and they locked the currency. And all the Argentines who had money in only in pesos couldn't buy dollars. They couldn't travel outside of Argentina. And so one of our kids was in the school out in Mendoza and we were talking to the principal one day and she was all upset because her daughter, her class was doing a trip to Miami and they couldn't get any money for the daughter to go to Miami. So we ended up doing a currency swap with her just to help her out. And you, know, you can look at a chart of where the peso is right now. So when we were there, we, we lived in Argentina for about a year and a half, almost two years. When we got there, it was four pesos to the dollar. Mm -hmm. When we left, the unofficial rate, so the rate you would actually change dollars for, right. was about 16 to the dollar. Wow. Uh, so you know, you're talking in one year, 400% growth. And prices were capped. So grocery stores and stuff like that had to sell at the official rate, even though you know, the blue market rate was shooting up so high. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, all of a sudden for us, everything got, uh, significantly less expensive, but we had friends there who, you know, were Argentine who had gone to college or, you know, business school in the U S were getting paid in pesos and now couldn't pay their loans in the U S. Uh, you know, we knew a lot of people that because they only had that one bank account or they only had that, uh, one currency in their reserve, uh, you know, they couldn't do a lot of things. And if you look at the peso now, I think it's over 150 to one wow. uh, about 10 years later. So never you know, recovered. I, it has not gotten better. Yeah. And yeah, I'm fully on board with having a couple different bank accounts in different places. Mm -hmm. You don't need a lot of money in anything, but mm -hmm. you, know, you want to have a rainy day fund uh, somewhere else, in my opinion.
Yeah, I, I agree. And especially for people, if, if they like to travel, like I, I spend time as I'm, I'm Canadian, I come back to, to Canada every year to visit family and friends and, and I travel quite a bit. So for me, it's nice to have a, an account in Canada. And so I, I put some money and make sure money is in there. And then um, the money I make is generally US dollars. So I have an account that has US dollars. And if I travel to the US, that's what I use. And I spend most of my time in Europe. Um, and so I have, you know, euros as well. And you know, just as you said, with with the currency as well, we've seen a lot of of that changing quite a bit. With the the pound to the dollar mm -hmm. has really dropped recently. The euro's been in flux as well, and so um, I think it's always a good idea to to not only have those separate bank accounts, but have a couple different currencies, um, kind of a, a just in case. Uh, you can kind of see it as a as an investment in one way, or if somebody likes to travel, just to have that extra count and be like. Oh, well, if I travel to Europe every year, I mean, obviously minus the pandemic years, but, you know, quite regularly, then have a, a euro account and put some extra money in there uh, when when yeah. the rates are a little bit lower. And and it's just great to have a for a backup and for when you travel. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I always tell new expats, like people who are prepping to go overseas mm -hmm. is even in the US, make sure you have two separate bank accounts, two separate credit cards with two different companies. Uh, because you know, you never know if you're overseas. Like we spent the entire pandemic in Costa Rica. And fortunately, none of our ATM cards or credit cards expired in you know the year and a half or two years we were there. That, but we've had situations. We've had situations in the past when we've been, you know, we're in Indonesia right now when we've been all the way out here and all of a sudden you notice a credit card or ATM card is expiring and you're not going to have access to that money for three months because you're not planning another trip back to the States in that time. Right. And so you always want to make sure that, you know, one, you check the dates of your cards and stuff like that, but that you have a backup, even like within the same country, I'm on board with having it outside the country also, but make sure you have, back up in the same country mm -hmm. uh just in case you know one atm card gets compromised you don't want to have to wait weeks and weeks for them to mail you a new card yeah right. mail services work differently in different countries right yes they do yes <laughs> we uh you know i mentioned we we're in costa rica for the pandemic we uh were registered to vote in costa rica and you know we got our absentee ballots you know filled out all the paperwork everything mm -hmm. like this and uh, they never arrived. So we ended up having to go to the embassy to get ballots. Well, about, let's see, about a month ago, our property manager in Costa Rica said this mail arrived for you. It was our ballots. They were, they were only two years late. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, I shouldn't laugh, that's terrible. Like, where were they for the last two years? Like I have no idea, no idea. It, like you really, you want to have an air tag in some of these things and just be able to track where they went and like, you know, whose bag in the closet they were sitting in or something right. like that. But it's, uh, it, it, it's funny because we did get another ballot from the embassy, right. uh, but it's not funny if that's your ATM card and you need exactly. to access your accounts. <laughs> right. No, that's, that's true. So definitely checking those expiry dates and making sure that you have um some out and i've i've actually done that before um with my one canada card it was 
it was getting close to expiry. I think I still had probably about eight months or, or maybe even close to a year left on it. And this was at, I think it was at the beginning of the pandemic. So I, I was supposed to come to Canada, but didn't make it. But I got here about eight months later and my, my card was getting close. Like I said, it could have been even about a year. And I just thought, not really sure what's going on. And I just went to the bank and I said, I, I need a new card. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I need a new one. And because that way I think it gave me like, I want to say maybe four or five years or, or right. something, how, how long it was good for. Um, and another one on that, even though it, it has nothing to do with, um, with money and things is the driver's license mm -hmm. expiry date on your driver's license, because that's, that's a very important one to, to have. So hopefully, I mean, you'll have passports and ID, but if you're, if you're wanting to drive and depending upon where you're, you're living or at is, is another one to make sure you have it for, for quite a while before it expires as well. Yeah, my last driver's license I had to do online because that was during the pandemic. Okay. And, uh, you know, you have to do a vision test. So I had to go into a local Costa Rican doctor to do my vision test and uh, then upload it to the New York State website. And, you know, obviously the test was in Spanish, but I guess they're pretty used to that in the States these days. So it mm -hmm. ended up not being a problem, but it was, uh, I wasn't sure how that was going to how that was going to go. <laughs> you're, you're lucky with that because when I was living in Costa Rica, a friend of mine, her driver's license had expired. She wasn't planning a trip back to Canada um, for, for a while. And in Canada, I don't know if they may, would have made an exception during the pandemic, but in Canada, you have to do your driver's license in person. Nobody can oh, do it okay. for you. Nobody can renew it. Like you have to physically go to a registry's office in person so right <laughs> that's, that, that, that can that can be that can be a, a tricky one there um yep. but um yeah you want to make sure to be checking those cards and and having just some some spares or some backups is, yeah. is definitely very very important so what would what would kind of be in in regards to taxes kind of the top maybe two or three tips that you would give to somebody, whether it's they're, they're getting ready to leave their home country or perhaps they, they've already left. What are, are kind of the biggest tips that you think are the most important that maybe they tend to not know or overlook? You know, the first thing I'd say is make sure that you know that you have to file because uh, you're not going to get bombarded with H&R Block or TurboTax ads and all that kind of stuff from February to April. So just know in the back of your mind that you do have a filing obligation. That would be the first thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the second thing I would say is you want to do some research on what the rules are. You want, like, if you're going to be using the foreign earned income exclusion, you want to just look at that. You know, we've got guides on our website and stuff like that. People can download look at one of those, understand how the physical presence test works so that you qualify because you don't want to make a small mistake and end up getting zero instead of getting the whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the third thing I would say is when you go overseas, things are different. So even if it looks like a product in the United States, it might not be treated like a product in the United States. So yeah, if you take the UK as an example, uh, the UK has these ISA savers, you know, ISA savers, mm -hmm. and they look exactly like a Roth IRA to an American, uh, but the IRS views them as foreign trusts. 
So, you know, right there, you're, what it looks like to you is one thing. What it looks like to the IRS is something different. Same thing with, you know, foreign mutual funds. You know, even if it's a Vanguard or Fidelity fund, if it's based outside of the U.S., it's likely going to be treated as a passive foreign investment company instead of as a mutual fund or an ETF. So you really need to make sure that you do a bit more research when you're overseas uh, and you don't just jump right into things thinking, oh, it's the same, same here as there. Right, right. I think that's that's very important because I'm, I'm sure a lot of people um, would 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 think it's it's the same and i'm living here so it's it's going to be a similar type thing yeah and you know if you haven't done any research there's no reason to think it wouldn't be right, right? you're not thinking uh if you're just coming straight out of the u.s you're not thinking oh you know the irs gets really wonky when you go overseas <laughs> uh so you know i should double check everything i do before i do it but they do yeah mm -hmm. like there's all these rules in the book that are meant to tax to stop tax cheats and now there's so many people living a lifestyle where you're overseas or you're international quite a bit more and we're just getting caught in some of these rules like they're not intended for us we're just getting caught in them right and you right. take and, the f-bar again like mm -hmm. as an example they didn't index it to inflation so this thing was set up in the 1970s i believe it was with the ten thousand dollar cap well ten thousand dollars in the 1970s is not the same as ten thousand dollars today that's right yeah, the foreign earned income exclusion, at least they index to inflation. So that goes up a little bit each year. Otherwise, yeah, that would be pretty useless as well if uh, if that didn't have that index to inflation. Right. And and as you said earlier, they they hired, and I believe it was, and I'm not, I'm not going to say for sure of the number, but I think I heard 87,000 tax inspectors, I'll guess I'll, I'll call them. Um, that mm -hmm. are going to be checking and looking into people's tax returns and and making sure they they aren't we'll say cheating the government because that's what they're looking yeah. for. But when we just don't know what we don't know, and as you said, with more and more people um, working abroad, being digital nomads, and and things like that, it's unfortunate that I think a lot of those people are the ones that are going to get caught in the trap through just sheerly not not knowing not by you know trying to to cheat the government or trying to do these um dishonest things but the government's really looks like they're going to start cracking down but they're not very they don't make the rules and the laws um very easy to understand either like it, yeah. it would be nicer if they would kind of word things easier, let us know. But I guess at the same point, they're like, that's your responsibility to know. It's, right. it's, it's, it's in this book of 10 million words. Like it's your responsibility to know it. It's like, come on. Yep. You didn't read, you know, subparagraph 37 bullet F well enough. <laughs> you know, so you're in trouble now. <laughs> right, right. And so we don't want our listeners to get into any trouble. So David, what would be the best way for them to, to get a hold of you or to be in touch with you? Sure. Best thing to do is just have a look at our website. It's greenbacktaxservices.com. Uh, and we've got all sorts of different guides and stuff on there uh, for people, depending on what you're doing. So if you're moving to London to be a banker, we have information for you. If you're a digital nomad, if you're a property investor, uh, you know we've got a lot of great information on there. 
and uh, yeah, it's all free. You can just go on the website and download it. Great. And so, so for the most part, it's people moving from the U.S. abroad. Do you do you have stuff for for like Canadians or other people that are also moving abroad, or are you mostly just targeting U.S. citizens? We just target the U.S. side of it. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we found that that's complex enough. Yes, yes, yeah. And I, I just, <laughs> well, I just wanted to, to clarify. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify <laughs> for the for the other listeners. So, if they're not from the U.S., then a lot of these things aren't going. Like, of course, there's still rules and paperwork and things to do, but the U.S. is definitely a lot more complex than other countries. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you very much for your time, David. I really appreciate it. And I know you've given some valuable information to our listeners today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show.